You're, you're listening to the best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You're listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. find that your memory seems a bit fuzzy or that you forgot things that happened just yesterday? Do you ever feel like your mood swings are unbearable? Are you happy one moment, angry the next for no reason at all? Do you feel tired, lethargic, or in pain daily? If you could change the way you feel, protect your brain, improve your mood just by changing the way you eat, would you? Well, our guest today is Dr. David Perlmutter. And he, along with many other scientists across the globe, have found that the consumption of carbohydrates, especially sugar and gluten-containing carbs, such as wheat, has a direct relationship with conditions such as heart disease, chronic inflammation, brain disorders, even mental disorders like bipolar and clinical depression, dementia, and even Alzheimer's. Doctor, welcome to our show today. Why well, Teresa, you... I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Why did you first decide to research how what we eat affects the way our brains function? You know, the way you, you ask that question, I have to take, take pause because, my goodness, why would it not? You know, we've come to think that we should just be able to live our lives come what may, and then once we start to forgetting why we walk into a room, why we expect that there's going to be some magic pill available for us that we can take and make everything all better. But Well, you are a neurologist, right? You're trained <laughs> true, under the traditional medical uh, convention. And therein lies the reason I wrote this book, because uh-huh. I, I found after practicing neurology for a number of years, well into my first 15 years of practicing neurology, I realized that that just isn't good enough, that we know now, and the literature is certainly replete with references indicating that our lifestyle choices have a profound effect on every system in our bodies, like our heart, like our um, muscles and bones and immune system, and the brain as well. And what was so challenging to me is that no one was willing to talk about it, despite the fact that we had this incredible body of wonderfully researched uh, publication that was out there in the ether, and again, it was being ignored. So who published um, all this information? Certainly not well, the these, conventional medical. Uh, these publications have been appearing in the journal Neurology, Archives of Neurology, New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of the American Medical Association for years, indicating that uh, some simple premises like mild elevation of blood sugar can have a dramatic and detrimental effect on the function of the brain. I mean, just recently in the New England Journal of Medicine, that's probably arguably the most uh, prestigious medical journal on the planet, was a fascinating report showing us that even having blood sugars of like 105 to 110, that most doctors might give you a pat on the back and say, hey, don't worry about it. These levels are already associated with a dramatic increased risk 
for developing dementia, and that is a disease for which there is no treatment. So that said, uh, it was my mission to get this information out to the world, and I think the fact that uh, people have been so desperate to get this information may well represent why this uh, book, Grain Brain, has been so popular. Popular among many, but you do have your critics. Uh, I do. Um, You know, that's a good thing because it's conjecture that that, uh, motivates progress. And, you know, I've come out absolutely challenging the status quo in terms of of what we should be eating. You know, the status quo is we should all be on a low-fat, high-carb diet, and, you know, that's the best thing for your brain and for your heart and everything else. And the bottom line is not only is it the, the, the most ridiculous approach to human nutrition ever, but it's not supported, as you and I have this conversation, by the peer-reviewed medical literature. So, again, you know, doctors to this day continue to parrot, oh, you should be low-fat because that's the diet recommended by the American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association. There is no longer any scientific data to support the, uh, the notion of limiting fats from your diet as being necessarily a good thing to do. It's absolutely the wrong thing to do. Uh, for heart health, immune health, and brain health. So why do you think the American Diabetic Association still promotes that? Well, I think old habits die hard, and I also think that people tend to be down on what they're not up on. But I'll say perhaps from a cynical perspective that you should uh, you know, go, go to their website and, and understand who their sponsors are. Mm-hmm. And you'll, you'll see that there's a, uh, there's a great interest uh, subtle, but certainly comes out in their recommendations on the part of various industry giants to make sure that we continue to pound our bodies with uh, carbohydrates, which are detrimental for the brain and the heart and increase risk for diabetes for that matter. So follow the money. What can I say? I mean, I, I, it does sound a bit cynical, but it's reality because even, as I mentioned, uh, in terms of heart disease, our most well-respected journals dating back to 2007, 2008, have demonstrated that a higher good-fat diet with restriction of carbohydrates is the most health-promoting. And again, when I say a high-fat diet, I'm not talking about having pork rinds and bacon all day long. I'm talking about really good, natural, brain-healthy, heart-healthy fats like olive oil, avocado, nuts, seeds. If you choose to eat beef, it should be grass-fed beef, not the typical meat that's offered in the grocery store. And wild fish, as opposed to uh, the farm-raised that are so common and in, in, uh, available in restaurants and grocery stores. So you're not talking about the kind of diets, and, and for the moment, the, the name escapes me, but that famous diet for so long by a cardiologist, that um, the Atkins diet. Yes, Dr. Atkins was absolutely on to something. As a matter of fact, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, there was a head-to-head comparison of the Atkins diet, the uh, traditional kind of high-fat American diet, um, the uh, zone diet, and then a very low-fat, high-carbohydrate diet that's called uh, that, that many people associate with Dr. Dean Ornish. Yes, and and actually that was really quite an interesting uh, comparison. It was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Again, that's the AMA in March of 2007, and across the board, the higher-fat diet which is the Atkins diet, beat out all the other diets in terms of all the parameters that are important for, uh, for heart disease risk and was associated with the most weight loss, the best blood sugar control, 
and you know, in terms of their metabolism, was associated with the most positive change. That was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. It's called the A to Z trial. But you know, the low-fat uh, hypothesis has really become kind of a low-fat religion where we see in the stores to this day low-fat Oreo cookies, low-fat this and that, and that's supposed to be some kind of uh, moniker for being healthful, and in reality, that's not true. What I'm suggesting to you today is that you know, this, the idea of eating a high-fat, low-carb diet is a brand-new revolutionary uh, recommendation, and it's only been what we've eaten for about 2 million years, so... It's been around the block, you know what I mean? Right. It's So do you subscribe to the whole paleo? I think the paleo diet is a very, very effective diet. Uh, but, you know, the issue here is, again, you know, a paleo diet is basically a diet that, that's high-fat, low-carb. What did our paleolithic ancestors have for carbohydrates? They had none. You know, even in Neolithic times, uh, you know, in our recent history, we didn't have carbs. We didn't have bread. We didn't have grains. We didn't have fruit. You know, there might be an occasional blueberry in the late summer, early fall. But by and large, we've always been on a high-fat, low-carb diet with animal protein. Now, uh, again, to make a very important point, that is that, you know, the animal protein that we get today that, that's used uh, in, uh, in the studies that come out talking negatively about eating animal protein is really dangerous food. You know, this grain-fed GMO, grain-fed, hormone-injected, antibiotic-treated uh, foods that pass as somehow being healthful uh, are, are really dangerous. So what I'm suggesting is you've got to be quite selective in your food choices. You know, to say, let's assess whether a person eats meat or not and then determine what the health risks are really isn't fair comparing, you know, grass-fed beef to the typical commercial uh, beef that goes into fast foods, for example. So the whole Atkins diet, you know, um, high-fat, low-carb, or no-carb, really that diet was about eating any meat whatsoever. That's right. And it, I think that, that there, there are some criticisms towards that notion. You know, again, it's not like I'm advocating uh, pork rinds and bacon to be mm -hmm. eating, uh, you know, as, as a good food, food choice uh, throughout the day. The point is that the types of, of meat that you eat and the sources of fat are very important. If you want to go on a high-fat diet, and that means having prepared foods with trans fats, hydrogenated damaged fats, then by all means, that's going to increase your risk for some very dangerous uh, things down the line. Cardiovascular risk, probably brain issues, and certainly immune problems, which translate into risk for cancer. So that said, it's got, you've got to be really selective. Is it challenging? It is to some degree. But I think that, you know, the success of Grain Brain, the success of this book has been because we've made this user-friendly. We've given people what they need to know when they go to a restaurant, when they go to their doctor's office, when they go to uh, the grocery store, what are the right questions to ask and what they should be looking for. Hmm. So going back, you know, to our early times, it really it has been well let me let me go forward for a moment. In the last hundred plus years is when the whole industrial age with food um really started to I guess poison our food supply or change our food supply and change the way we eat. Right? Oh no question. And um, only in the last hundred years have we seen illnesses and diseases that we never saw. 
Well, uh, that's true. I mean, you know, there's this notion that, oh, my gosh, our life expectancy now is, is in the upper 70s. My goodness, our food sources must be just really wonderful because, you know, our ancestors had a life expectancy that was really low. It was in, you know, even um, around the turn of the last century, it was 48. So obviously we're doing something right. Well, no, that's not what that means. Because average means you factor in childhood deaths. And that is that there are large, you know, the number of children that are that die early on in life uh, has come uh, down dramatically. Uh, so that's it. In, in olden times, before we had really good um, emergency medicine and prenatal, uh, perinatal care, uh, children would die, uh, you know, with a much higher frequency, and that would bring the average down. And we would die of infectious diseases back then as well that have been wonderfully eradicated. But that said, for the first time in history of humans on this planet, the life expectancy of our children is predicted to be less than ours. That is a scary proposition. Our children are genetically the same as we are, obviously, but what's happening from what's called an epigenetic perspective, in other words, uh, food and environmental issues, is having a huge effect, taking a very great toll in compromising their lifespan, for crying out loud. So this is really very, very important information. We actually influence the expression of our genome, of our DNA, based upon the foods that we choose to consume. And our genome is basically the same as it's been for the past 40, 50, 70,000 years. It hasn't changed. But now it's getting these really perverse signals based upon the foods that we're consuming. So your, your, the title of your book is Grain Brain, but the grains and the carbs affect every part of your body. That's right. And, you know, and me being a neurologist, of course, um, you know, I, I'm focused on the notion that We have 5.4 million Americans suffering from Alzheimer's disease, and no one's talking about it. We were, uh, I was amazed in the the news uh, two weeks ago in the New York Times was announcement that there's this collaborative effort donating uh, about uh, $300 million to find a cure for Alzheimer's. Well, I don't think we need to do that. Hmm. I don't think we should endeavor right now to spend a, core, uh, a third of a trillion, a billion dollars rather, to find a cure for Alzheimer's disease. What we need to do is let the population know that this disease costing us $200 billion a year is by and large preventable. It's preventable based upon lifestyle choices. Just last August 2013, New England Journal of Medicine was a very compelling study published demonstrating that even with a blood sugar of 105 and 110, where most doctors are going to give you a pat on the shoulder and say, everything's fine, don't worry about it, those levels of very mild uh, blood sugar elevations translated dramatically into increased risk for the very thing we're talking about, for dementia. And yet, that didn't make the news. No one talked about it. It was published in, again, one of our most well-respected peer-reviewed journals. Is dementia and Alzheimer's epidemic all over the world, or is it just here in the United States? Well, it's it's far more epidemic, oddly enough, in uh, Western countries, in countries that have higher levels, oddly enough, of hygiene. Who knew? Interesting story. Uh, but it, it's much, much more prevalent and increasing much more rapidly in uh, cultures that have adopted our way of eating. So why is that? Because you would think that the poorer countries don't have access to meats like we do. 
Well, that's a, a very good question, but they're not as yet, but it's, it's shifting very ra- rapidly. They're not as yet so fixated, uh, third world countries, on uh, loading themselves up with carbohydrates. And, you know, beyond that, the hygiene part of the story is really very, very interesting. And that is, in those countries where they have the most um, parasites in their guts, the highest level of parasites correlating to very poor hygiene, their risk of Alzheimer's is really, really low. So, you know, it's, it's a bigger picture than just nutrition. It's all about taking antibiotics to, to alter the microbiome, the bacteria in the gut. You know, everybody's talking about that now in terms of immunology and inflammation and Alzheimer's and heart disease and diabetes. What is the role of the gut bacteria? Who knew? And it turns out it's strongly related to things like Alzheimer's. So it's a big call to avoid antibiotic exposure, even in terms of the foods that we eat. So the parasites, what does that have to do? Is that, is that part well, of the whole? The parasites in and of themselves um, are not the issue, but they were used in a recent study as, um, a re, as just a marker in terms of hygiene. Okay. The I biggest see. player of all has to do with carbohydrates and raising blood sugar. Uh, these are studies that go back to 2008, 2010. And when you, when you raise blood sugar by consuming a diet that's high in carbs, uh, what happens is you change your proteins. It's called glycation, meaning sugar binds to protein. And when that happens, when you glycate your proteins, you turn on inflammation and the action of chemicals called free radicals. These are the cornerstones of Alzheimer's disease. And this isn't news. It's been talked about for years. In 2012, in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, January of 2012, the Mayo Clinic, the well-respected Mayo Clinic, published a report indicating that those individuals favoring a high-fat diet have a 44% reduction in risk for becoming demented compared to those favoring the standard high-carb American diet whose risk, comparatively, is increased by close to 90%. Now, this is a disease for which there is no treatment, and our most well-respected journals are telling us what the clues are here. Dr. Deborah Barnes of University of California, San Francisco, recently published in the journal uh, Lancet Neurology, indicating that 54% of Alzheimer's patients in the United States didn't have to get that disease had they paid attention to certain Mm. modifiable lifestyle factors. So, you know, what did I do in Grain Brain? I wrote about it, I put it all in one place, and I made it user-friendly. So people are now learning this stuff because they're not going to get it by watching the evening news, and there's certainly not going to be any advertisements telling people they should cut back on carbs and eat more fat. You'll see advertisements for this or that medication, but there is no drug to treat that problem. There's so many industries. You know, if you're going to follow the money, and I don't mind going to the the skeptical, cynical part because, I mean, it's just the reality. And, you know, I went to law school, so, you know, I've got that legal training. But you've got so many industries that are so well-funded by the dementia and the Alzheimer's. Um, you've got the food, you've got the pharmaceuticals, you've got the hospitals, you've got the insurance, you've got so, there's so much money behind treatment and not prevention. Well, that's right. I mean, that is basically, you said it, this is how medicine is practiced today. There is no emphasis on uh, prevention whatsoever, only on hoping for a magic pill. You know, with the huge Washington uh, healthcare debate, 
about this part of the program and that part of the program. I think it's all well and good, but you have to understand this is not a health care initiative. This has nothing to do with health. It has only to do with illness, what happens to you when you become sick. And I would contend that is uh, ridiculous. We, you know, not that it's wonderful, not wonderful to have these things available, but let's keep people healthy in the first place. It's cost-effective. It's emotionally the right thing to do. It's morally the right thing to do. You know, this isn't news. Uh, the, the Yellow Emperor in the 4th century B.C. said that maintaining order rather than uh, fixing disorder is the ultimate principle of wisdom. To cure a disease after it has manifest is like digging a well when one feels thirsty or forging weapons when the war has already begun. So my point is, let's keep people healthy. Let's tell them uh, what is the current science focused on in terms of maintaining health and what can you do to change your lifestyle so that you don't suddenly walk into a room and forget why. So if somebody has dementia or has you know, symptoms of dementia, is it reversible? It can be, yes, ma'am. Uh, I will tell you, uh, first of all, that many, uh, you know, I'm a practicing neurologist. As a matter of fact, I just left my office to do this interview with you today, seeing dementia patients uh, beforehand. And a lot of, uh, I have to admit, a lot of the patients uh, come in uh, with issues of memory, et cetera, and frequently it is because of their medications that they're taking. Taking too many, having an adverse reaction to one or more of them. And that's really the first place we look. But even Alzheimer's disease in some patients can be improved by changing the diet. And that is, you know, it's a heck of a statement, but it's something that we see very frequently. It's something that I wrote about in Grain Brain, and it's something I think that people need to understand because I, like many of your listeners, am the child of an Alzheimer's patient. So I visited with my retired brain surgeon father this morning mm. with Alzheimer's disease. He was a brain so, surgeon? Yeah, Leahy Clinic, wonderfully trained individual. So, How so tragic. I get this. And, you know, when I'm walking down the hallway with a, the family members after I've evaluated mom or dad, and they say to me, you know, um, what can I do so I don't end up like that? I sit them down and I give them the pretty much the information that you and I are sharing right now. I hand them a copy of Grain Brain, and I say, you've got to do this. There, you, you've got to start right now because that situation doesn't have to be your destiny. You can rewrite your destiny. You can rewrite your book of life by paying attention to this. And again, as I said before, this isn't a, a revolutionary shift in human nutrition. It is absolutely getting back to what we've eaten for 99.9% .9 of our time on this planet. The aberration is this new diet that focuses on low fat and high carbs and there is no fur no further literature these days up to date that is supportive of that as being healthful at all it's completely wrong i remember i don't know 20 years ago there was um uh, a girl who wrote a book about you know fat causing fat right you want to go low fat because high fat of course is going to give you fat and, well it doesn't uh, work that way of when course you not. signal your body with carbohydrates it, it causes your pancreas to secrete an enzyme called insulin actually a hormone and insulin's job is to make and store fat Yes. So exactly fat, what you don't want when you're fat and trying to lose weight. Yes, if you want to lose weight, eat fat. You won't insulin signal, and you'll lose weight. Eat fat, get thin. Who what a knew? concept. Who knew that that was why South Beach worked? That's why Gary Tobbs' books have been so effective. That's why the Atkins diet worked, 
because when you eat fat, it tells your body basically the hunting is good. We don't need to store calories don't in need the to winter. Store calories. Ah, bingo. That's huh. it, right? So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Dementia, Alzheimer's, if you've seen a loved one go through the stages of these diseases, you know that it can be devastating for you, for them. If you could eat to improve your brain health, would you want to know what the best foods are to eat? Stay tuned, and we'll be talking to Dr. Perlmutter about how to protect our brains from diseases such as these. We'll be right back. Teresa Kuhn with Living Wealthy Radio. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. You eat for energy, to lose weight, to feel your best. What about eating to protect your brain? Did you know that there are foods that the FDA recommends eating sparingly that can actually help improve your brain health? Dr. Perlmutter is our guest today, and he says we should be eating more fat, less carbohydrates to help our brains function better. So, Doctor, this goes against, you know, the, un, the, the Go conventional ahead, wisdom. It goes against the grain. I know you're dying. <laughs> it goes against the grain. However, um, before we went on break, you, you mentioned something about the fat and how that, that you, so simply you described why healthy fats help you stay thin and help your brain. Can you repeat that? Well, again, it has everything to do with what we call insulin signaling. Insulin is the hormone in your body that tells you basically winter is coming. And what I mean by that is uh, in our hunter-gatherer days, the time when we would find carbs and sugar would be when the fruit ripened at the end of the summer, early fall, winter's coming, and you, we, that's why we have a sweet tooth. We would eat those foods, the berries we might find on the ground, and it would signal the body to, you, to make insulin, to deal with the carbohydrates, but as an added benefit, it would signal your body to make and store fat so that we made it through the winter. The problem is, these days, the winter never comes, in other words, the time of food scarcity, and we're always pounding our bodies with that mechanism, signaling our bodies to make and store fat by eating carbohydrates. But that's where the mechanism came from. It actually, if it wasn't for our sweet tooth, we wouldn't be here today. But consuming fat basically, again, tells your body that, there's, that food is abundant, that there's no need to store fat because you've got plenty, the hunting is good. And that's why a diet that's primarily deriving its calories from fat is the best diet to help you lose weight. And that's, again, behind the success of the various diets like the Atkins diet and and South Beach diet. These are high-fat, low-carb diets. If you want to lose weight, eat more fat. But you've got to cut the carbs. So back in our ancestors, right, before the industrialization of food, they didn't have access to all the food groups that we do today, every day. That's right. I mean, carbs have never been here. We've never had carbs uh, as we do now. So, uh, you know, there is a uh, an essential amount of uh, protein that's required for human health. There's an essential amount of fat in the diet mandated for human health. The human requirement for carbohydrates is none. Not one single gram of carbohydrates is required for human health at all. Really? That's right. None. So, Zero zilch. That's right. So are you saying, you know, you can't have enough protein and fat? 
Not too much. Is oh, you can. Uh, you can. Yeah, you. Uh, you can have too much protein and too much fat for sure. So, I mean, it's not a question of eating fat and protein all day long and you're going to be healthy. No, you won't, because ultimately if you eat too much protein, you'll convert that into high levels of carbohydrates. And protein, too, stimulates uh, insulin. The only thing that doesn't happens to be fat. So, you know, the diet that uh, I'm talking about here is not one where we're eating, hot, you know, having a 16-ounce sirloin uh, each day and, and 12 eggs. It's a diet that relegates the meat part of the dish, in other words, the chicken, the fi- uh, fish, Dish, uh, or the uh, the grass-fed beef as a side dish or even a garnish. It's mostly above-ground, low-carb vegetables, the colorful vegetables. This is the key to being healthy for the rest of your life, to stave off things like heart disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. When you eat carbs, you ultimately damage your body's ability to handle sugar and become a diabetic. So becoming a type 2 diabetic, by and large, is a dietary choice. The reason it's germane for our conversation today is quite simple. Because if you become a type 2 diabetic, you have doubled your risk for becoming an Alzheimer's patient. And again, there's no treatment for that. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating. So we're talking about brain health, dementia, Alzheimer's, but we've also got, as you know, so many Americans today on all sorts of drugs for mood disorders and mental health issues, and we've got so many kids on all these, you know, drugs for ADHD, et cetera, et cetera. What role does diet play and the carbs play with these issues? I think it's fundamental. I mean, any all those things that you mentioned um, are uh, predicated on the notion of inflammation. So uh, the inflamed brain is a brain that doesn't work well, whether you're a, f- a fifth grader or you're 62 years old and starting to have cognitive issues. You know, the other issue, uh, and, and certainly our children are just pounding the carbs. Mm-hmm. You know, we have been diagnosed in America now six and a half million kids. And the scary part of that metric is that uh, clearly two-thirds of them are now receiving um, brain-stimulating, brain-altering medications with the acceptance of their parents and their doctors. And it's, it's ridiculous. Eighty-five percent of all the ADHD medications on the planet are used right here in the U.S. of A. Does that mean we've got more of a problem? No. We're just diagnosing the heck out of these kids uh, who can't sit still and have trouble focusing. And the quick fix in America is to load them up with um, amphetamines, basically, and that's what's going on. And we're supposed to be okay with that. That's business as usual. I'm very, very taken by that, especially as a practicing clinician watching uh, watching what happens when we put kids on a low-carb, high-fat diet and oftentimes uh, find that they're gluten-sensitive, taking them off uh, foods that contain this protein called gluten found in wheat, barley, and rye that in some people is very, very inflammatory. Taking them off gluten is oftentimes a huge event, giving them back the good fats so that they can build a healthy brain. You know, your brain is 60% fat. It's made from the fat that you eat. It doesn't come out of thin air. And, you know, interestingly enough, about half of that fat is saturated fat, the dreaded saturated fat in in meat and eggs that we were all told to avoid. That's craziness. 50% of human breast milk fat is saturated fat. How could it possibly be wrong for the developing brain? 
I don't know, but some would certainly still argue differently, wouldn't they? Well, again, you know, people do tend to be down on what they're not up on. Right. So what's the long-term effects on these children's brains that have been exposed to the uh, amphetamines? Well, I'm going to tell you a very scary answer to that question. Um, the answer is we don't know. And that's, that's, that's worrisome. I mean, if I could list, you know, a bunch of things that are common that we see happening, like the development of tics, appetite suppression, growth suppression, um, sleep disorders, depression, mood disorders, that's already in the PDR listed in terms of, you know, the typical uh, uh, side effects that can occur with these medications. But long term, you know, the, the longest term studies are two years on these drugs. No one's looked at it. That's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. We, uh, we have generation, several generations of kids on these drugs. We don't know what it's going to look like for them. Isn't that just breathtaking? Mm. Wow, it really is. And it's something that could be changed with diet. Exactly. And, you know, there's nothing really heroic about diet because it's not like, you know, going and doing a... Um, um, you know, an open heart operation in the middle of the night. So, uh, so that said, um, you know, here we are talking about food, and it's kind of maybe I hate to say boring, but no one gets really excited about it. It's the most powerful intervention in terms of uh, health that exists. Well, and I think there's so much resistance to changing one's diet, especially for children, because it means the entire family has to eat differently, and. You know, poor diet, well, we, what you and I would consider a poor diet, for most people, um, it's it's what they eat, it's what they're used to, it's what they like. And for the whole family to change, you know, that's pretty drastic as opposed to giving Johnny a pill, mm, which true. the medical doctor says is okay to do. Mm, and that's true. So um, that's where, you know, I'm doing my best to act as a doctor, which means teacher. It doesn't mean healer. Well, the point is, that's my mission. That's why I wrote Grain Brain. And then when people get this information and hear the kinds of statistics that you and I are talking about today and what's really going on, then they make the decision as to whether we do what's easy, eat whatever we want, give Johnny the pill, or we put the entire family on the most healthful diet for human beings and watch how their health will flourish. Well, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on the show is because I have so many alternative specialists uh, on the show because it is a lifestyle show and it's about, you know, being healthy and, and wealth is more than money, right? But you're a medical doctor. You, by definition, in this society, um, you know, the society regards you in a higher position than a lot of the other type of professionals out there in health. I mean, that's just the reality. So you as a medical doctor trained um, saying this and speaking this and writing the book, I think, carries so much more weight. Well, I, I think you're right, and I have to tell you, I, I'm uh, amazed and thrilled uh, at the unexpected uh, success of this book now in its 11th printing. Awesome. Uh, in 21, being published in 21 countries. Uh, you and I are having this conversation. Yesterday it was number one on the New York Times. Best I know. I saw that. Congratulations. For, you know, it's been on that list for 21 consecutive weeks, and I think it, it's because people are saying, holy Toledo, I, you know, I didn't know this stuff. And, uh, and my goodness, we're, we're finally hearing the other side of this story 
that we were never told that, yes, as a matter of fact, our lifestyle choices play a huge role in our, the destiny of our brain. And uh, there you go. And if you think about it, you know, we don't have to be victim to something we don't understand or something we don't know. Well, imp- your, your message is very empowering. Yes, and I think that's the point. It's giving people the other side of the story. Then what they choose to do with it uh, is going to be up to, you know, it's going to be up to them. So we've talked about, you know, low-carb, high-fat diet. Let's talk about supplements. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about ways to boost brain power besides just diet. What else can we do? Well, I think that these days, you know, I, I, pretty much everybody in in the field would agree uh, that uh, we're, we're pretty deficient in vitamin D. And it turns out that vitamin D is not a vitamin; it's actually a a hormone. It it, it um, it's built from cholesterol of all things. And uh, and that said. Um, I, I'm really aggressive with supplementing my patients with vitamin D. I think people need aggressive, good probiotics for really reasons that you and I just talked about in, in terms of the role of gut bacteria in modulating um, inflammation, for example. And, and that said, so we're really aggressive with that. I like alpha-lipoic acid, and, and I'm really thinking that um, DHA, a specific omega-3 called DHA, is really one of the most important a nutritional supplements that people can take because, frankly, the diet is not good enough anymore. The vitamin D, is there a specific kind of vitamin D that you recommend? Well, it's vitamin D3. D3, Any okay. Any brand will do. Okay. Uh, but that said, uh, I, you might ask me a dosage. It's usually the next question, and there is no right dosage. What is right is the blood test that then shows you uh, what the vitamin D level is so that, Teresa, you might need 2,000 units of D a day, and I might need 10,000. You don't know until you uh, look at your blood work. So we try to keep the vitamin D level in the middle to the upper part of the so-called normal uh, curve. Mm-hmm. And then we've got probiotics, of course, the coconut oil, which you're a big fan of. Yeah, I think coconut oil is really great. It's, it's a wonderful source of brain-healthy saturated fat. It is uh, 90% saturated fat. Couldn't be better. And uh, and that said, I'm all over it. I mean, it's it's been very, very effective in our treatments for uh, Alzheimer's, for example. You also recommend resveratrol and turmeric. Yes, and, you know, the idea of using turmeric as an anti-inflammatory, that's brand new, too. That was only first described in the Vedic text some 3,000 years ago. <laughs> so, uh, again, uh, this is really very, very important information. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think people need to, to be on some supplements. If our foods were ideal, right. then there wouldn't be any need. But you know, And if we were outside naked all day long... Getting in the vitamin D. Getting plenty of vitamin D, then we wouldn't need supplementation. But most of us don't live our lives outside naked all day long. Right, right. Uh, One surprising thing that some people might be surprised about is coffee. Uh, Yes, coffee turns out to be powerfully anti-inflammatory. And actually, uh, several recent studies have been uh, have been published demonstrating some really you know exciting things that coffee can do um, to to actually protect the brain. There was one uh, study looking at um, 
risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. It was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease in September of 2009, and the study demonstrated that in those individuals consuming three to five cups of coffee per day, their risk of developing Alzheimer's was 65% decreased. That's huge. In September 20th, 2009, in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. These are all on my um, website, which is um, drperlmutter, drperlmutter.com. Everything's listed. You can search the site by term. You can put in coffee, and these articles will come up. So that's obviously great news for Starbucks. Is there a specific kind of coffee that you recommend? I personally drink organic, very Yes, I think coffee. organic is really very important because some coffee beans have been sprayed, and that becomes uh, worrisome. Who knows what they've been sprayed with? Um, but I think that, it, you know, again, it's really important to understand that food modulates genetic expression. Your foods control the expression of your genes, and that is pretty exciting. So basically what you're saying is that we're not victims to our, you know, our, what our parents had in terms of d- diseases and illnesses. We can control, based on our food and our supplements, th- what kind of illnesses or diseases uh, we suffer from in the future, Correct. Absolutely. And, you know, aside from obviously trauma and things like that, and to some degree infectious diseases, but, you know, we do note that people with uh, better nutrition tend to be more resistant to infectious diseases. Uh, But that said, by and large, the things that people fear the most are the degenerative situations, the heart disease, Alzheimer's, diabetes, and to an extent cancer as well. These are the things that are killing people these days. And these are all significantly related to our nutritional choices. It's not live your life, come what may, eat the cereal out of the box with a couple teaspoons of sugar and hope for the best. That's not based on science, and it's certainly not anything I've experienced. And all those illnesses and diseases you just mentioned, you know, it's epidemic. It is, and doesn't need to be. So that said, um, you know, again, (laughs) that's why I'm out uh, singing this song, because I really think it's time for people to... um, Wake up and here we go, smell the coffee. Right, right, exactly. What other changes can our listeners make today to help improve their health besides, you know, the supplements and the diet? Anything else? Well, I I think that, you know, you go on that diet and take uh, specific supplements, but it would be a good idea for people to get a sense as to their average blood sugar, and that's a simple test called hemoglobin A1C. In addition, I think people should all have their vitamin D levels checked. And if it's low, you know, even though it's in the so-called normal range, I'm not really good enough with being in the normal range. I want people to have an optimal uh, level of vitamin D. Keep it up around 70 or 80, and that might take 10,000 units a day. And so, you know, some people uh, might get the willies for that uh, with that kind of a recommendation. But, again, the dosage doesn't matter. It's the blood level. Okay, so the hemoglobin A1C test, the vitamin D, anything else? Well, I think a good way to predict if you're on your way to diabetes, even while your blood sugar uh, is is still normal, uh, is to get a test called fasting insulin. And that is a, you know, heck, this is a test that any doctor can do. Uh, It measures how aggressively your pancreas is having to work to keep up with, you know, your carbohydrate load. So it's a really, really good test, and and I recommend that. I'd like in an ideal world, uh, for the um, an insulin level to be less than two. But, you know, even eight to ten, still not bad. Less than two. Wow. Yep. That's 
not unusual. Okay, 8 to 10. So no sugars at all. Is there any healthy sweetener that you would recommend? Well, you know, I, I, the, the purpose of the, uh, uh, sweeteners is really to give in to your sweet tooth, and I would prefer that uh, people did not do that. You know, because the more that you c- uh, cater to that, then the more likely you are to make mistakes. Because sugar can act like a drug. Well, sugar does act like a drug. Sugar stimulates the brain in exactly the same way, and in fact, in the exact same uh, areas as does cocaine. So the notion that it's sort of like cocaine in the brain, yeah, it is. Who knew? Who knew? Right. So, so all, any type of sugar has the same effect, and the more you you take it, the more it feeds that addiction, so to speak. Exactly, and that's why you know the the notion of supplementing with artificial sweeteners makes no sense. You know, in our upcoming. Uh, recipe book, the Grain Brain recipe book that'll be out in uh, September of uh, 14. We do have a few recipes that have optional amounts of stevia in them if people are still not fully transitioned. But there's language in there that indicates, you know, your goal needs to be stevia-free. Artificial sweetener usage is uh, off the table and definitely sugar-free, that's for sure. And limiting fruits? Fruit needs to be limited as well. Mm -hmm. Who knew? Right, which goes against... Uh, you know, <laughs> go ahead, say it. Against Goes the against grain, the yeah. grain. Sorry. But the point is that <laughs> you know, fruit contains something called fructose, which is fruit sugar, and uh, again, there's nothing wonderful about that. Uh, that is a very damaging sugar in terms of uh, changing proteins in your body and doing what's called glycation. We mentioned that earlier when sugar binds to protein, and that increases inflammation, which is the cornerstone of everything. Teresa, you don't want to get. So have an apple a day. Have a handful of blueberries. Have half uh, a banana. Put it in your blender, whatever. But to be gorging on fruit, especially dried fruit, all day long is absolutely nonsense. It's, it's what you don't want to do. We're trying to limit carbohydrates to about 60 to 80 grams a day, which is wonderful. But you have to understand, 60 to 80 grams a day, what does that mean? Let's say at breakfast... Before your meal even arrives, you have a couple of 12-ounce glasses of orange juice. That's already 72 grams of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. That's 18 teaspoons of pure white sugar before the croissant and whole grain zero has even (laughs) landed. Your optimal day supply by 7 a.m. Yeah, by by your glass of juice. Right. It's crazy. It is crazy, but it's... uh, I didn't make that up. If you go to any nutrition almanac, you'll see that, and that's... That's what's happening. Doctor, I so appreciate your information. Uh, You've got a great website, drdrperlmutter.com. We will link uh, link to your website on livingwealthyradio.com and also have a recording of the show today. I love your background and the fact that you are the one out there with this message. There are many others, but you have so much credibility because of your background. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, come back to the show anytime. And good luck. Congratulations again with number one on the New York Times bestseller. That's a huge. (laughs) Thank you. I'm pleased. Yes, very good. All righty. Now that you know what you can do to protect your brain, what changes can you make today to help prevent diseases such as Alzheimer's and dementia and memory loss? You know, it can be easy as including more healthy fats in your diet and cutting carbohydrates. And cutting down on the sugar, Dr. Perlmutter has given us some great advice today 
about what to eat for a healthier brain, you can go to his website, Dr. Palmetter, drperlmutter.com, and also livingwealthyradio.com. You've been listening to Living Wealthy Radio on Talk 1370 and streaming live at talk1370.com. I'm Teresa Kuhn, and I hope you'll join me again next week as I show you ways to live wealthier. Resources are available for you on our website at livingwealthyradio.com. everybody, this is Tammy DeLue here with Living Wealthy Financial Group, and today we have one of our really special clients. All of our clients are special, but this lady is particularly so because she's a local businesswoman in the Austin area. She is the owner and the founder of Get the Picture, Inc., which is a, an event photography, the, the best event photography place in the whole state, right, Kate? Is that correct? <laughs> That's that's fabulous of you to say so. Thank you. (laughs) She's the best little photographer in Texas, right? And she is a client and has been a client of Teresa Kuhn and Living Wealthy Financial Group for quite some time now. And I I wanted to have her here because I wanted her to share with with all of you her experience with Bank on Yourself and what she how she came to find out about it, how she came to believe in it, and what she's been using this concept for in her own professional and personal life. So welcome, Kate, and thanks for being here. And so, you know, tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. We know you are a photographer, but you do so many so many other things as well. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tammy. Yeah, I'm. Um, my photography business is a little unusual. We do something that's a little different, and we actually go out to events and set up uh, full on-site studios, and we deliver portraits on the spot. So... People get in our line and take their picture, and then they get to see them, pick their favorites, and then they walk out with them that oh, night. Oh, that's so, really cool. That's a <laughs> gratification kind of thing. It is. It's like a that. lot of fun. So I really love doing what I do. And so how long have you been doing that? Let's see. Get the Picture is 13 years old. So I've been doing that company. And then, of course, I worked for other companies in photography before that. But as far as mine, we've been around for about 13 years. So you are located in Austin, but you go all over the state, correct? You go anywhere, anybody will, you're a hired gun. We are. (laughs) (laughs) So you also operate this with your husband as well, correct? That is true, yes. Both both Charles and I are certified professional photographers, which is really nice because oftentimes we'll have more than one event at a time, and one of us can go to one and the other one can go to the other one. Perfect. So how did you come across now bank on yourself as I mean were you attracted to it as a businesswoman or how did you were you introduced to the concept well you know I heard um I kept hearing actually um radio spots on uh public radio and um I would I guess they aired at the same time every day because (laughs) I kept hearing them like when I was taking my kids to school and after hearing it about six or seven times I finally was like well I better check this thing out because it talked about being able to um, sort of create a bank for yourself and then using that bank to loan yourself money so that you are collecting the interest and not somebody else. So it made perfect sense to me. And um, and so I finally one day I called and I was um, very excited to be hooked up with Teresa 
because she has just been absolutely fabulous. And they, they, so the, the 800 number that you called put you in contact with someone in your local area who was Teresa, who uh, is like really is one of the premier Bank on Yourself advisors. So you were able to meet with her. And so describe, you know, how did she explain this to you and how were you able to, you know, uh, what did she do to make it a little more easy for you to grasp how this was going to work? Well, i got to tell you, I really uh, – I felt like I was driving her crazy because I really wanted to understand it. And so, And I didn't right at first because it's an unusual concept and it's not something that we're ta- that's taught or that people really talk about. And so I really had to um, explore and get deep into it and ask her a lot of questions. And she was so great. She was very patient with me. <laughs> And she explained every little thing that I asked her. And she went into as much detail as I wanted until I felt like I was really confident that this was the right, this was the right vehicle for me. Well, yeah, and she, and she really loves to do that because she knows her stuff. And so it was good that you were able to ask questions. I think actually Teresa enjoys clients who really question things and really ask themselves, is this going to be right for me? Is yeah. this going to make sense for me and my business and my family? And so she was able to explain everything to your satisfaction. And then I guess you you got started how many years ago was that? Gosh, maybe five years? Five years. So she, all along the way, you know, you guys checked in with each other and you kind of became very, um, you know, through the process, I guess you became friends, you know. Uh, You know, it's, uh, you do want to be on that kind of, you know, wavelength with someone that's helping you handle your money. So she was able to guide you when you were, for example, what's the first thing you did when you when you got your bank on yourself? I mean, as far as when you started to accumulate, what were you looking to do with that? Well, my business uses a lot of equipment. <laughs> and, I can imagine. Computers and, and all kinds you know, of stuff. The average photographer uses a good amount of equipment already, but when you take the fact that we have to carry all this stuff on site, lots of um, cases and printers and cameras and lighting and just tons and tons of stuff, and so what I first used it for and what I've been using it for pretty much each time that I've taken out a loan, it's been for equipment for my business. And so I can loan my business money, and then my business pays the policy back with interest. And so that interest, instead of it going into you know, Bank of America's pocket, it goes into mine. So it's a really great like way that. to build wealth. You like that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you have more control. So you like the, actually having the control of your money is a really important factor in why you did this as well, right? Because you control the process. Absolutely. You know, that's important because when, you know, in a typical loan, you'd have to go into the bank and beg, you know, your hat in your hand and, and get out on your, you know, on your knees and plead to be accepted. With this, you you set the terms. And I yeah. think that's really crucial for people to understand. This is You are the banker. You set the repayment terms. You set, I mean, if something happened, you know, and you couldn't, like, say you lost, I mean, I'm sure it's happened where they, you've had cancellations where you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, and if you had to pay it back uh, to a traditional bank and you couldn't, you'd run your credit. But this oh, way you don't. Oh, yeah, and that's, it's fabulous. You know, you can you can stop repaying a loan at any point when you need, you know, you need a break. You need some time to get cash flow going or whatever, and it's perfect for that because I don't have to worry. There's no creditors breathing down my neck because it's my money. <laughs> and that's well, and as well it should be. 
Now, when you look at your statement every month, I mean, what are you thinking? I mean, are you seeing, like, results that you didn't expect, or is this what Teresa told you, or is this beyond what you've expected? I trust Teresa implicitly. She is, she knows her stuff, and I completely trust her judgment. And, of course, we got the thing at the beginning where it shows the projections and all that, but, of course, as soon as you start taking loans, and I've done lots of loaning, then the the policy grows like crazy, and so then it doesn't look anything like what you looked at before anyway. So I just trust the process, and um, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Really, and what uh, you know, you are expanding. I you had told we had talked before. You told me you were expanding your business. Uh, maybe you know at some point, maybe even franchising. How's this going to help you expand your business and grow it? Well, this is ideal for growing the business because you've always got access to funds that you can use at any time, and then you just pay those back. And it's, I don't know, I think it's just, it's the coolest thing. (laughs) It's the coolest thing to have your own financing, Um, and I just love it. It's it's a great way to go. So would you recommend this to other small business owners and and in your area especially? Oh, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, Teresa, and working with Teresa, and Teresa works in many different states, not just Texas. I wanted to add that, but I mean, is she the kind of person that you think should be people should be working with? Well, you know what? I haven't met anyone else that that does this, but it wouldn't really matter because I can't imagine working with anybody but Teresa. She is absolutely phenomenal to work with. She listens very well. She gets where you're coming from, and she is incredibly skilled at leading you in the right direction for what you're trying to accomplish. And I just, I don't think I could do this without her. Well, that's a fantastic endorsement, Kate. I just want uh, everyone to know out there, if they need a great photographer, Kate, how do they get in touch with you? We should Oh, well, thank you. Promote you. Let's shamelessly promote you as well. Sure, why not? That's a great endorsement. We did not pay Kate anything for that. We didn't even (laughs) take her to dinner. So, we appreciate it highly. So uh, where, where would they get in touch with you, and how do they find you online and stuff? Well, they can go to our website, which is getthepicture.com, um, or they're welcome to call us here at the office, which is 512-997-7427. Great. Well, thank you very much. Again, we've been talking to Kate Cadillo, and she is a, uh, a fantastic photographer. I've seen some of her work. So everybody, you know, don't call her and bug her, but if you've got work for her, hey, you won't turn it away, will you? Absolutely not. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. And thanks, Thank Del. you so much for having me, Tammy. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.